It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Happy to be with you today. Thanks so much for listening. Uh, Lieutenant Colonel Alan West, always love having him on. Cannot wait to get his take on what happened at the DNC last night. Also, we talk about the unrest in all these major cities. That's taking place. We also got some news. Jobless claims are over a million. Not great, but, you know, we were at a high of uh, we were losing uh, millions every month. We've lost nine million in the last three months, but we're starting to gain them back at a dizzying rate. So the economy's uneven, but I don't think the market hates this number in and around one million. And then, of course, we're going to get uh, how many jobs added? That'll be tomorrow. So that's going to be interesting today. The president of the United States, and keep an eye on this. I know you nobody lo- loves talking about Iraq. But this prime minister has a lot of promise. He wants Iran out of that country. And they started assassinating his ministers because of that. He's asking us for help. I don't want more troops. I want more tactics and more aid and more diplomatic. Uh, I need some of our leverage to get some of our the Iraqi neighbors involved. So I hope the president does that. Then after he has his meeting, he's going to go over to Old Forge, Pennsylvania. The president's starting to kick it into gear, uh, doing social responsible campaigning and he is fighting right back through this entire dnc and there's a lot of fighting and barbs coming his way so let's get to the big three i stepped out of the vehicle i didn't even think anyone was following me still and before i even got my door open someone was yanking me out and i hit the ground so and then i sat there for a while and they wouldn't let me get up you saw some of the video, especially if you watch this channel and watch the, and listen to this show. That's Adam Hayner. He's okay, battered and bruised. The man brutally attacked and knocked senseless. Hayner is out of the hospital. That's great news. His heroic acts go virtually unreported as violence continues to reign in Portland, Oregon. The manhunt is on to defund. The manhunt is on for his assailant. To fund the police movement continues, and for quitting cops, a job offer from a city in need. Why was the urban violence not even mentioned last night at the DNC? Number two. What matters is how does the news play the next day? How does the news feed into folks that aren't sitting and watching conventions, you know, virtually? Persuadable voters don't watch virtual conventions. The DNC, that's Reince Priebus, of course. The DNC reviews and reveals how is America responding and, is, and has anyone's hearts and minds been changed after the three-day extravaganza, we get set to welcome in Joe Biden tonight. Esteemed experts will weigh in. Number one. No interest in finding common ground. No interest in using the awesome power of his office to help anyone but himself and his friends. Donald Trump hasn't grown into the job because he can't. Okay, much like his wife, day three, big three. Hillary Harris and Obama, all which talked about Trump, uh, the man, They were there to, uh, rather than the man they were there to prop up, Joe Biden. We will bring you the verbal barrage and the Trump blistering retort, along with the two topics Dems won't touch, but in my view, matter most. And one, China. Two, urban unrest. And of course, the COVID virus. You're going to blame President Trump for 170,000 dead? 
That's interesting. You're going to blame for the creating uh, economy when a world pandemic has affected everyone's economy? Well, that's an interesting tact. But we all remember we're in the middle of the pandemic. We don't have to remember because we're in the middle of it. What happened last night was expected. When I watched John Lewis's uh, eulogy, when I'm watching that eulogy and I saw the President Obama got up on stage and talked about John Lewis and then went right into politics today and without using Trump's name to skewered him and talked about the need to get the Senate and the filibuster. And I'm thinking to myself, really, did John Lewis just die or did someone else lose the president, lose his legacy to Donald Trump and will take any stage and any microphone and talk about what a bad loser he is? Last night, as Michael Beschloss said, and I'll paraphrase, never before in history at a convention has a former president bashed a sitting president like Barack Obama did to Donald Trump. You might love that. And I'm sure Democrats love it. I'm sure people that don't like Trump love it. I thought it was totally inappropriate. And if in four years Donald Trump does it um, to if he has a successor or if Donald Trump does it to the Democratic contender nominee. I feel just as inappropriate. It's okay. I remember. I remember when Bill Clinton got up and ripped Mitt Romney. I got it. But it wasn't personal. It wasn't talking about inadequate. He didn't blame for the death of 170,000. He said that inadequate, you know, his company, uh, Bain Capital, cost people jobs and livings. Fine. Okay. That was the company that did it. Meanwhile, they all donated to him. No one bought it, but they really appreciated it actually reversed the momentum which was going against Barack Obama at the time, he said, even me, I could not have brought the economy back like that. I thought that was big and on, on the edge. But this was so over the top. And the president, to his credit, knew it was coming and had some retorts. So first off, a little of the hits coming Donald Trump's way. Cut five. I have sat in the Oval Office with both of the men who are running for president. I never expected that my successor would embrace my vision or continue my policies. I did hope, for the sake of our country, that Donald Trump might show some interest in taking the job seriously, that he might come to feel the weight of the office and discover some reverence for the democracy that had been placed in his care. But he never did. For close to four years now, he has shown no interest in putting in the work. No interest in putting in the work. All the guy does is work. Yeah, he golfs, but my goodness, I'm sure President Obama is not going to bring up he golfs too much. I don't think that would work. Let me give you an idea of what you missed, because you likely missed it. President Obama spoke for 30 minutes, and he spoke at uh, Constitutional Hall in Philadelphia. And in the 30 minutes, he spoke about President, excuse me, Vice President Biden, two minutes and 52 seconds. Kamala Harris spoke for 18 minutes. She spoke about Joe Biden for two minutes and 38 seconds. Hillary Clinton, uh, 31 seconds. Uh, She spoke for about 15 minutes. Why is that? Because they want you to forget that Joe Biden's the candidate. They want you to talk about how bad Donald Trump is and what a great speaker and what a great person Barack Obama is. But I was never a fan of his presidency. I I appreciate his intellect. I appreciate his composure. I think he's one of the top uh, 10 uh, speech makers in the country. You want to give a TED Talk? He's the perfect one. But if you want to give an inaccurate portrayal of the way things were and the way things are, you also call him up. So he goes on and just skewers Donald Trump. Here's a little bit more. Cut six. No interest in finding common ground. No interest in using the awesome power of his office to help anyone but himself and his friends. 
No interest in treating the presidency as anything but one more reality show that he can use to get the attention he craves. Donald Trump hasn't grown into the job because he can't. And the consequences of that failure are severe. 170,000 Americans dead. Millions of jobs gone. While those at the top take in more than ever. Our worst impulses unleashed. Our proud reputation around the world badly diminished. And our democratic institutions threatened like never before. Do you need me to go over our, how the world views us? We'll go over it. In Europe, they never paid any type of money into NATO. Yeah, they liked hanging out with uh, Barack Obama, but they didn't listen to him. When France was hit by a series of terror attacks, President Obama did not show up. He watched football. No one liked that. Remember that? Uh, when, when they were hit again in Europe, the president was in Cuba sitting with the Castros watching baseball. How did that go? How did we raise our profile by going to Cuba? We weren't even greeted. The president wasn't even greeted on the tarmac by, to the, by the brutal dictator, uh, Fidel's brother, who has since left power. How does it help us in the Middle East when we say Iran is the key to peace and getting them denuclearized in a 10-year deal was going to be paramount to making them part of the family of nations? That was a disaster. It alienated everybody in there, and they made sure to tamp down Israel in the meantime and vilify Benjamin Netanyahu. The president's reversed all that. Now, the president is not into going into Afghanistan. That kind of bothers me. I don't want to be in there with a bigger footprint, but I wanted to stay. In terms of Syria, I thought he got out too quick. I get it. But my goodness, he never called ISIS the JV team. He never did not respond and kick to Congress when we had Americans beheaded. And when he, when he had a chance to enforce his red line, he won golfing again. So this was a disaster that even John Kerry was calling the president out on. But now this president has lowered our profile. You know what he does? He's got a, a way about him that, that makes people love him or hate him. And as he said to Bob Woodward in an excerpt I read that's going to be out, I guess, in a month, he doesn't know what about him or what, about, what there is about him. The, he ignites rage in people, ragely supportive, and now we have it on the other way, to the point where I've never seen Barack Obama as angry. They are calling it, on the other side, one of the greatest speeches ever. Listen to the way, first off, Wolf Blitzer characterized this 30-minute address from a retired president that usually doesn't speak out against anybody, hence Bill Clinton, hence George Bush, you go back to LBJ, Jimmy Carter, they speak out, but not like this. Cut 21. We also saw, saw a truly unprecedented moment. The former president of the United States, Barack Obama, delivering a scathing, a scathing attack against the current president of the United States, President Trump. Uh, this was a moment that uh, we, we anticipated that, there, that this would unfold, but not to the degree that it has unfolded. I've been watching President uh, Obama, for example, since 2004, deliver speeches. This may have been the most powerful address he ever gave, a presidential address to the nation, not only strongly supporting the Democratic presidential nominee Joe Biden right now, but going after the sitting president of the United States. Listen, uh, totally inappropriate, but true. As scathing an exercise as I've ever seen him. He spent two minutes with his vice president. I'm going to go over it later this hour what he really thinks about the vice president. Do I think they're friends? Yes. 
Do I think that President Obama thinks Joe Biden would be a good president? No. Do I think that he would have gotten his vote? No. And it's not me, just me saying it. It's insiders who know both who are revealing it. one 408 7669 What did you think of the address? Do you think any persuadable minds were persuaded? And what do you want to hear from the RNC? We'll talk about that, and I'll give you more of the reviews from around the country and around the world. But next, we're going to go inside some of the hate, some of the violence in Portland with a man with the guts to get on the ground with his iPhone and tape a lot of it and bring it forward, or else we would never know the truth. This is not about racial justice. This is about anarchy and hatred of America. Drew Hernandez with me next, then Colonel Allen West, and then I'll take your calls. Don't move. It's Brian Kilmeade. This is Jimmy Fallon, inviting you to join me for Fox Across America, where we'll discuss every single one of the Democrats' dumb ideas. Just kidding. It's only a three-hour show. Listen live at noon Eastern or get the podcast at foxacrossamerica.com. As many of you know from your own life experiences... Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton Withrow. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you'll subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. A life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of. It is very rewarding to work that has impact on your friends, your neighbors, and your family's lives. Great successes can be had in the blue-collar career. There's no degree requirement for achieving comfort, peace, and freedom. While schools cut shop classes and funnel students into colleges, there are plenty of options for hard workers who are ready to take advantage of open positions. Many young people today assume that college is the only way to achieve success in life. That is not true. Let me introduce you to Ken Rusk. Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now Ken is a successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. In his national best-selling book, Blue Collar Cash, Ken shares his insights from over 30 years of working in blue-collar trades as an entrepreneur, mentor, and life coach. Now he's created a guide made specifically for you and your unique situation. This guide will give you or someone you love the tools you need to start designing the life of their dreams. You can achieve your dreams regardless of your educational background or your past. Go to KenRusk.com path to learn more. That's KenRusk.com path. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. I stepped out of the vehicle. I didn't even think anyone was following me still. And before I even got my door open, someone was yanking me out, and I hit the ground. So, and then I sat there for a while, and they wouldn't let me get up. Uh, that was Adam Hayner. He was beat up in Portland. But the guy who taped it all and saw it all is with us now, Drew Hernandez. 
Uh, he's the host of Lives Matter, and he's got the courage to go on the ground uh, in the midst of Antifa, Black Lives Matter, and all these unsavory groups that are destroying a great city of Portland, Oregon. Uh, welcome back, uh, Drew. As promised, you posted the whole tape, uh, the horrific beatdown of Adam Hayner, and revealed how this whole thing started. And it started because Adam wanted to protect a transgender individual that was being beat up and was about to be robbed, correct? Yes, sir. Uh, good morning, Brian. Thank you for having me on the show. Um, I am extremely grateful. I am an investigative reporter, um, so I'm glad that I was able to be there because I think, um, you know, if God didn't have me there, I don't think the nation would actually know no. what exactly happened. So I'm, I'm really grateful that, uh, you know, these thugs and these criminals uh, not just Marquise Love, there's multiple, if you watch the video, there's multiple people that need to be brought to justice. And I hope, uh, you know, I know there's an investigation going on currently in Portland, and I really hope that they uphold the rule of law and they go after these people because it's definitely much needed. You know, I get confused a little bit. But in Seattle, we had a federal agent get hit in the head with a bat, and they made the arrest yesterday, and they handed out hundreds of indictments. So that's Seattle that really ticked it, uh, kicked this off. But it's been three and a half months, Drew. Is this about racial justice? Absolutely not. Um, you know, with Black Lives Matter out there, to be honest with you, Brian, it, it does seem like Antifa and all these radical leftist anarchist groups, they are just using Black Lives Matter and the Black Lives Matter movement um, as like a as a veil, literally a veil to do their dirty work, to do their anarchism. Uh, they hide behind the BLM movement. Um, they use it as an excuse uh, to take to the streets um, to get away with all kinds of different things. Uh, because if you dare uh, in any way, shape or form, uh, you know, accuse Black Lives Matter of doing or saying anything that's too crazy, uh, then, you know, you're a, you're a racist. And it's just that then they hide under that. And so, you know, that's how things are. Uh, they're getting away with things out there in Portland, and it's, 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 it's unacceptable. So that's why I'm glad stuff like this, you know, was captured all on film in context. So, I mean, there really is no explaining it away or trying to, you know, accuse anyone of, you know, lying. It, it's literally all there. So where do we get it? Where do commentary. we get it? For, for my listeners right now, where do we get exactly what happened? Uh, you guys can watch the full video on my YouTube channel. Um, if you go to your search bar, just youtube.com backslash lives matter. Or if you go on YouTube in the search bar, just search lives matter, Drew Hernandez, and you'll find it. Right. And we'll see how long YouTube leaves it up. What was that? What did you know what happened last night? Anything of note? Yeah, well, I know there were riots in Portland. Uh, they're continuing to burn buildings the last couple nights. Um, I believe they attacked an ICE building last night, and there were a bunch of residents uh, that were taking video, even my DMs on Twitter, on Instagram. Uh, I know for, for a fact that a lot of, a lot of locals in Portland um, are fearful. They're scared to come out, not because they're scared of Antifa or the anarchists. They're scared to come out and say anything or complain about anything because the local government signs with Antifa. The local government, the mayor, the governor, city councils, they tie the hands of police. They tie the hands of citizens because, like I said, they hide under the racist card. If you come out and say anything about any of these people, you're a racist because you're speaking out against them. So a lot of people in Portland live in fear, and I could say that for a fact, and they're afraid to say anything because the local government sides with the anarchists and the radical Marxists in the area over its own citizens 
uh, that are innocent. And I think that's a travesty in America. And, and I'll tell you what, you're going to get some mass resignation soon among the police that aren't backed up. Uh, Todd Wheeler, he understands he's, this is out of control, doesn't he? On some level, he's the mayor. Mm-hmm. Does he well, understand it or no? He, he, I, he, I think that Ted Wheeler, here, 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 here's what people need to understand. He's very progressive, but he's not hard left enough for these hardcore anarchist, leftist, Antifa groups, Marxists that occupy in Portland. He's not progressive enough for them. So sometimes when you're there at these radical riots, you'll hear the Antifa kids or the BLM kids literally chanting, you know, uh, all kind of obscenities against Ted Wheeler because they're displeased with him because he's not anarchist. He's not hard left enough. So it's interesting to see. He, he, he tries to play both sides. And he's not doing it successfully enough. It's not his job to please Marxists and anarchists. It's his job to uphold the Constitution of the United States. That's his obligation, and he's not doing it. But, Drew, you're doing it. Uh, Thanks so much. Uh, You're exposing it, and we need you. Drew Hernandez, stay safe. Uh, Go to his Lives Matter uh, YouTube channel. Doing great work, Drew. Thanks so much. If things get better, it's going to be because of you and the video that you've exposed. He'll put pressure on the politicians. Alan West next. With Fox News Podcasts Plus, you can enjoy all your favorite Fox News Podcasts without commercials. Subscribe now at foxnewspodcasts.com. President Obama's speech tonight slayed me. Um, I'm sure people have different opinions about it because it's a different kind of thing from him. But his warnings that we could potentially be at the end of American democracy... um, scared me and I found upsetting and hard to watch. Um, but it's powerful, powerful stuff. I wake up in the morning like most of you and I think, what would Rachel Maddow think of what I'm thinking about? And then when I watched that speech, I thought, what would Rachel Maddow think about the end of democracy? Is she concerned that a socialist almost took the nomination? That would be the end of democracy. Is she concerned about getting rid of oil and gas in our country? That would be bad. Would she be concerned about free college for everybody and free health care for everybody? Um, Would she be concerned about the end of cars and cows? That would be bad for democracy. No. She says the end of democracy is if Donald Trump gets four more years because Barack Obama told her that. Lieutenant Colonel Allen West does not wait to see what Rachel Maddow thinks to know what he thinks. Colonel, welcome back. It's good to be back with you, Brian. And it's hard to believe that all of a sudden uh, the left believes the end of democracy comes with one person. When we know that Barack Obama was standing there, it's confirmed that he uh, used the government, weaponized the government to spy on his uh, you know, opponent, political opponent, and, and then, of course, the, uh, the incoming president. We know that Barack Obama used the IRS against uh, constitutional conservative uh, groups called the Tea Party and other groups. And we know that Barack Obama violated the Constitution by doing the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals, DACA. He did not have the enumerated power to do that. He said so uh, in a speech, but yet he still went ahead and did it by executive order, which is a complete usurpation of Article One of our Constitution, those powers to go to the legislative branch. So where are the leftists when all of these things happen when they're in control? Oops. I forgot. When they're in control, everything they do is to enhance uh, democracy because it's their ideological agenda. But if anyone stands against it, then, of course, you're trying to destroy democracy. Right, it, yeah. It, the hypocrisy right. is laughable. But tell you the what, hypocrisy is laughable. To tell you the truth, uh, President Obama standing there in 
Constitutional Hall, talking about how bad a president Trump is, how he never grew into the job, how uh, he makes a mockery of the job, watches television all day, didn't accomplish anything, uh, basically doing something that we've never seen a former president do. We watch. Remember, evidently, Eisenhower was so upset that this young guy, 41-year-old John F. Kennedy, the senator from Massachusetts, was ripping the Eisenhower administration and Eisenhower in particular, saying he's out of step and it's a bad generation. It's time for a new page. Uh, he did not rip JFK. He kept his powder dry, including Truman also kept his powder dry when Eisenhower was running. You had all these former presidents finishing out the string or just retired who have all these opinions, but it was inappropriate. I found his speech 30 minutes long two and a half minutes for joe biden not unexpected but a hundred percent inappropriate well this is the bottom line and it goes back to also you saw his supposedly eulogy for john lewis which was just a political speech very disgusting but what barack obama is out there speaking about is himself He's speaking about his legacy. You know, there is no Paris uh, Climate Accords, which he did by executive order, did not do by the legislative process. There is no Iranian nuclear agreement, which, again, was not taken through the legislative process. There is no more hundreds of millions and even billions of dollars going to Iran. There is no strategic patience when it comes to North Korea. There is the, the, the free-flowing of our energy resources so that now America is energy independent and a ne- exporter of its energy resources. Barack Obama sat up there and said that, you know, Donald Trump would not be able to bring manufacturing jobs back. He'd have to wave a magic wand. Well, guess what? I guess Donald Trump found the magic wand. But all of those things were just completely not addressed in Barack Obama's delusional statements last night, because this is about his himself, his legislative agenda, and also his legacy. And he knows another four years of Donald Trump, no one remembers Barack Obama. Well, yeah, I mean, and he'll be emphatic next time around when you have a more traditional candidate, whether it's uh, Tom Cotton or uh, uh, or it's, uh, it's Mike Pompeo. They'll be more traditional, but he'll still be making these speeches. I mean, we saw Bill, uh, you know, Bill Clinton used to be able to do a killer speech and sway people. You see how he ends up now. He's absolutely pathetic. He made absolutely no sense. And it was totally inappropriate for him to be here. What I thought was interesting is uh, Donald Trump did answer back, and I thought he had the ultimate diss, and it was right to the point. And then he spoke a little bit more about it. And he's talked about the only reason I'm on president is because basically you failed. Think about this. Yeah. He turned over, instead of turning the keys over to Hillary Clinton with all her years of experience, he loses the Senate, loses the House and the White House, and has three weeks to, to pack up and get out. And instead of doing that, he starts investigating the incoming administration. No, you're absolutely right, and that's why I found it so uh, funny that Rachel Maddow and Barack Obama would say this, that you know President Trump is a threat to democracy. It was the first time in all of our years of existence as a constitutional republic that we did not have that peaceful transition of power. We know that. Those, the facts are clear, and it is out there. But again, when you have these leftists that are operating within their own echo chamber, they're not sitting around listening to any other facts, figures, thoughts, perspectives, or insights, which is truly fascist in nature. They're now talking about how we don't need to have debates because they're afraid of Joe Biden uh, going toe-to-toe with uh, Donald Trump and the facts getting out there and people can see the side-by-side comparison. That just lets you know that uh, the only thing they're running on, Brian, is hate Donald Trump. And that can get you 40 to 45%. That's not going to get you across the finish line. 
It's not. Um, let's talk about something else, uh, law and order in America. I'm sure you mm-hmm. know that since you're in, you're in charge of the Texas GOP, that Houston has said, hey, retiring cops in New York, Chicago, Portland, and Seattle, you're welcome here. Well, let me explain something to folks. I mean, Houston is the third largest uh, city metropolitan area in the United States of America. Uh, Harris County is the largest county here in Texas. But, again, you have Houston, the city of Houston, which is being run by uh, another leftist, uh, Sylvester Turner, and then also the county uh, judge there, Lena Hidalgo, who has made some horrible decisions. As a matter of fact, uh, they're going to spend $12 million on mail-in ballots there. So, yes, they're trying to lure them down to Houston, but if you look at the record and you look at what just happened in Austin, Texas, where they have defunded the police by $150 million, we still have these individuals, even here in Texas, that are running our major cities. They may want you to believe that they're fully supportive of, of our police, but I don't think they are. Now, I will tell you that Dallas County needs help. Dallas City of Dallas needs help. We're thousands of officers short. But we've got to have different leadership in these cities and not these uh, Democrats, these progressive socialist leftists. Do you, uh, you know, Carl Rove is unwound uh, that Democrats don't really think they could take Texas because they haven't spent much. He only found $70,000. Do you, have you seen the Democrats make a major push to turn it blue? Yeah, uh, what is happening, uh, Barack Obama and Eric Holder, uh, Eric Holder is uh, in charge of the National Democrat Redistricting Committee. They're looking at pushing millions of dollars in here. Joe Biden has opened up a super PAC. Michael Bloomberg and his Every Town for Gun Safety, they're looking at pushing 8 to $10 million here. They really want to get the Texas State House. They're nine seats away from flipping the Texas State House because they want to control the redistricting that is coming up. And they're trying to run anti-gun uh, candidates here in Texas to flip the Texas State House. That's not going to be successful. So I think that when you look at the messaging, when you look at how Austin is now more uh, resembles San Francisco than it does the capital of Texas, the defunding of police in the city of Austin, I think you're going to see the Democrats suffer a resounding defeat here in Texas. And I'm going to do everything I can to make sure that comes to fruition. Uh, Lieutenant Colonel Allen West, uh, thanks so much. His uh, book, Hold Texas, Hold the Nation, Victory or Death, and We Can Overcome an American Black Conservative Manifesto, a bold available. Thanks, Colonel. Thank you so much, Brian. Take care. You got it. Uh, 1-866-408-7669. We come back. I want to get your take on if you thought like me that it was totally inappropriate but not unexpected for President Obama to personally go after uh, Donald Trump. And when we come back, the story about the Biden-Obama relationship and the reality behind it. There's an excellent reason why he did not push for Joe Biden to run in 2016, and it wasn't because of Bo's death. And there's even a bigger reason why he told him, Joe, you don't have to do this when he went this time. Back in a moment. You're with Brian Kilmeade. New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Now, President Obama did not do a good job, and the reason I'm here is because of President Obama and Joe Biden, because if they did a good job, I wouldn't be here. And probably if they did a good job, I wouldn't have even run. I would have been very happy. I enjoyed my previous life very much, but they did such a bad job that I stand before you as president. 
And that is uh, Donald Trump yesterday in a prequel to when he got word that what the remarks are going to be like. And he was going to say Donald Trump basically is not worthy of being my successor. Hey, if you did a good job, Barack Obama, I wouldn't have had to run. I wouldn't have won because Hillary Clinton was a continuation of your policies, continuation of your uh, continuation of your campaign, continuation of your presidency. After all, she was your secretary of state and all your people went to go work for her. The truth is Barack Obama and Joe Biden might have been friends. I think they they respected who each other's were. But I don't think Barack Obama ever thought that Joe Biden should be president. And that is why in 2014, most of the Obama people were beginning to make overtures to Hillary Clinton. When she did 60 Minutes on her last day after the first term, they did it together and they kind of intimated that Barack Obama's pushing her to run for president. Now, at that time, uh, nobody knew Bo was going to get sick and distract the vice president. As the sad news of his son passing away, he was a great guy. But then that would be, too, they say, too much grief for a guy to run. He decided not to run, but he had every intention of running. So here's what Leon Panetta said, who worked for President Obama. He said he was loyal, I think, to Obama in every way in terms of defending and standing by him, even probably when he disagreed with what Obama was doing. But Obama's secretary of defense, when he was secretary of defense, he said, he said to some extent, he oftentimes felt that that loyalty was not being rewarded. And Barack Obama, we know, urged Biden not to run in 2016 and 2020. He preferred Hillary Clinton, this according to the Politico story, and questioned Biden's ability to win and warned others. Here's the quote from Obama. Don't underestimate Joe's ability to F things up. So they talk about how Hillary in this story and other stories was so much like Obama. They both had Ivy League educations. They both had been government for so long. They both had great degrees. They were both very academic and liked to debate things where Joe Biden, I didn't realize what a terrible academic record he had. He repeated the third grade, earned all C's and D's in his first three semesters at the University of Delaware, except for A's in physical education and a B in a course that said great English writers and F in ROTC That means he didn't show up. And 76th in the Syracuse Law School class of 85. He's the first Democratic nominee since Walter Mondale not to have an Ivy League degree. I I don't have an Ivy League degree. I I think that's endearing not to have one. It shows you might actually be a man of the people. But it shows you how people from the Ivy Leagues look down on other people, especially one that seemed to bloviate at all meetings. That was written up in the past by James Comey in his book, by Madison in his book, and was brought up by Gates in his book. I mean, he just goes off. And you heard Britt Hume say uh, to Joe Biden when they both worked on Capitol Hill, you know, why don't you interview me more, Britt? And he said, because you're a blowhard. And he said, yeah, I can go on and on and on. So here we go. Uh, That's the truth. Barack Obama never thought he'd win. And when his campaign started to crater, all those, all this, uh, the Obamaites started to cackle and said, here he goes. He's been terrible. And now he doesn't do any interviews, doesn't do any campaign stops. When he does, he screwed up. Two weeks ago when he did them, he made huge mistakes, insulted the Hispanic community again, the black community again. And then he went and called his interviewer, said, what are you, a junkie? That's what the Obama people see. Nobody thinks Barack Obama is incompetent or his people were incompetent. They just had different, different views. Missy, listening online in West Virginia, Missy. Hi, Brian. I hope that President Trump hears this message because it's going to be life-changing. The world is the Olympics. The best runner wins the gold. The fastest swimmer wins the gold. The highest jumper wins the gold. The federal government 
has twisted everything on its head because of race. It shouldn't be that way. If you're looking for a doctor, you want the best doctor, not the most diverse doctor. If you need brakes on your car, you want the best mechanic changing your brakes, not the most diverse person changing your brakes. If two people apply for a job and they're both white, the boss is going to pick the most qualified person of the two white people, not the one wearing the red shirt. Stop giving things to people who don't deserve them, i.e. test scores, admissions into college, because you're making it unequal for other people. If everyone is treated equally, i.e. no affirmative action, then you'll have the best everywhere, and it will never be an option. The I hear you. is what you want, the mm -hmm. best. Missy, uh, hold on. Uh, Allison's going to get your stats because I want to get you a book, whatever book you want. I got the four history books, Sam Houston, the Alamo Avengers, Thomas Jefferson, the Tripoli Pirates, Andrew Jackson, the Miracle of New Orleans, George Washington, Secret Six. So let me know which one you want. I'll send it out to whoever you want. You are a great caller. Lance, listening online in Baltimore, Maryland. Lance. Uh, yeah, Brian. Um, I want to talk to you about the – the uh, recent riots going on, yeah. on as well as the uh, on disparity is as far as uh, these um, these murders of innocents. Now, now in the first place, as far as the riots going on, that that's just another play for uh, it, um, instead of um, what uh, people are calling our reparations. Um, it's more. Uh, as far as uh, receivership. Uh, um, Lance, what, what do you think the riots are about? Uh, 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 just, um, just, um, just another play at, at um, overall thuggery, that's all. And, um, and do you think they started off right when you saw, you know, the African-American community feeling as though they were being unjustly targeted by police officers all across the country. Do you think this started on the right premise and got off track, or was it always unwarranted and off track? Well, it started rightly as far as, okay. as um, they, um, George Floyd never uh, uh, never, uh, never should have been uh, put, put in that situation in the first place by those officers. All right, Lance. Thank you. I get, I get your point. I understand your frustration, too. Uh, Gabriel, uh, listening on the app in North Carolina. Gabriel. Yes, this is Kill Me. How are you? Good. What's on your mind? Uh, so I got a couple things. Uh, first of all, just to piggyback off of what Missy said earlier, this is a land of equal opportunity. We don't guarantee equal outcome. Um, as far as the unemployment rates go, like I'm a former sergeant in the United States Marine Corps. I got out. I tried to go into insurance. Insurance didn't work because COVID happened right when I got out. So now I'm a trucker. You know, I got my class A CDL. I bucked up and like I found something that worked. You know, it's it's all about your mindset and what you're willing to do to provide for not only yourself, but if you have a family, provide for them, too, because at the end of the day, you know, the only person you have to blame for sitting on your rear and being lazy is yourself. I hear you, especially all, now when, when the livelihood was taken unjustly from so many people. you got to make your own wake in life and stop blaming. And you, you did that, and you're a great example for our listeners. I got some news, and it's not good for Steve Bannon and company. Uh, he's one of the leaders of the We Build Your Wall online uh, fund. They were building the wall using private funds. 
Uh, he has been indicted, it seems, uh, by the, US, the Southern District of New York. Uh, the defendants arrested, or some guys you don't know, Bannon you do know, helped get President Trump uh, elected the first time and was kind of advising him on the side this time. Uh, they say he took the funds where he was going to take nothing. They said he took a salary and took some money. We'll find out what the truth is uh, back in a moment. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everybody. Brian Kilmeade here. Thanks so much for being with us all week long as we get to the final day. We're on the threshold of the final day of the virtual DNC. No one's actually in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. We were all supposed to be there. Actually, I loved it. Uh, It's almost like Super Bowl for politics. You get a couple of days off and then you go to the RNC. Everything changed. Dates changed. Cities changed and no one's showing up. What's going to be different about the RNC than DNC? We'll talk about it because I think they're going to school on the on the lack of atmosphere, let's so to speak, that we're seeing in sports when you watch the MLS or NBA over at, at Disney. No crowd. They're pumping crowd crowd noise into Major League Baseball. I don't know what they're going to do in football. I think they're going to actually fans in. My sense is Trump's going to find a way to get that live audience. So before we get to uh, Chris Wallace and then we go to Seth Barron, he's a great reporter in New York City, to tell us what's going on with this once great area. Uh, let's get to the big three. I stepped out of the vehicle. I didn't even think anyone was following me still. And before I even got my door open, someone was yanking me out and I hit the ground. So, and then I sat there for a while and they wouldn't let me get up. Unbelievable horror. If you've seen the video, you know what I'm talking about. Adam Hayner talks about getting attacked, brutally assaulted and knocked senseless. Hayner is out of the hospital. His heroic acts now virtually unreported uh, are shown because it's posted for 30 minutes. He was standing up for a transgender person who was getting beat up and robbed. Next thing you know, nine guys are beating him up. The manhunt is on to defund the, the manhunt is on to find his assailant. Uh, the fund the police movement is alive and well. It is now stopped in Seattle. They have voted to defund the police there, a city out of control. Why has the urban violence not even been mentioned at the DNC? Number two. What matters is how does the news play the next day? How does the news feed into folks that aren't sitting and watching conventions, you know, virtually? Persuadable voters don't watch virtual conventions. Reince Priebus, the DNC, reviews and reveals how is America responding and has anyone's hearts and minds been changed? Esteemed experts like the one waiting weighs in. Number one. No interest in finding common ground. No interest in using the awesome power of his office to help anyone but himself and his friends. Donald Trump hasn't grown into the job because he can't. Right. Day three, big three. Hillary, Harris, and Obama, all of which talked about more about Trump than the man they were there to prop up, Joe Biden. We'll bring you the verbal barrage and the Trump blistering retort, along with the two topics uh, Dems won't touch, but in my mind, matter most. And that is China, and that is urban unrest. But first. 
It's time to welcome back to the Brian Kilmeade Show, the esteemed Emmy-nominated host of... Would you stop the Emmy-nominated thing? Because what you're saying is he didn't win the award. He was just nominated. He didn't win. So that ticks me off every time. Now it's time to welcome back to the Brian Kilmeade Show, the esteemed uh, whatever host of Fox News Sunday. What is it about me that ticks people off, Brian? Always honest. Always fair. And always balanced. Are you a cocaine addict? No apologies for relentless fact-based reporting. You and I are a little punchy today, aren't we? (laughs) Folks, we take this stuff very seriously. Right. So seriously that Brian has once again been named this Sunday's power player. I have not committed to naming you as the power player. As Joe Biden would say, you can whine all you want. I'm (laughs) not giving you the power player. Well, okay. It's Chris. I don't keep my promises, Wallace. Hey, Chris. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> uh, I, you know, this is I, I view this as a personal attack. I, I feel I deserve. I mean, there's so many things that were wrong with that. I, let me ask a question: Do people in your shop just cackle as they put this together? And they say, do. Oh, can can I give you the backstory here? Wallace, Eric, what? Eric, uh, are the produced it? Uh, that he's the one who listens to this and puts it together, along with Frank yeah. Bruno, who does the voiceover. He had an appendix taken out yesterday. He had to wait in the in the hospital for five hours. But evidently, he had edited the day before. Today, he's recovering and emailed it to Josh, who's filling in, just to make sure you had your open, even though he's missing an appendix. Well, well, oh, an appendix. I, he said an appendage, and I was thinking, gee, I hope it's uh, not an arm. That I, not an arm. Okay. Isn't that great, though? It, it, what, that he goes to such efforts to humiliate me? Yes, <laughs> it's really very admirable. Well, I think it's great. Um, so listen, Chris Wallace. Yes, sir. First, uh, the news that broke. Uh, I'll tell you what I know, that we will build the world organization, that we build the world organization. Uh, 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 well, evidently, the $25 million they raised, they claim that the officers involved were taking money for personal gains, one of which is Steve Bannon, used to be the president's uh, campaign manager. Um, they say that he did take money, and this guy, one of his partners, was using it to um, to fund a lavish lifestyle. He was indicted by the Southern District of New York. Uh, your reaction? Well, you know, I, I obviously have seen what you've seen, which is just about that. I don't know whether it's a strong case or not, but it is interesting. This is, uh, you know, Donald Trump's Justice Department, not Barack Obama's or Joe Biden's, that are bringing these charges against Steve Bannon. So it's pretty serious business. Yeah, I will say this. I, have you had a chance to interview him? Steve Bannon? Yep. Uh, no, Mr. Bannon. I tried a lot when he was in the White House. He never agreed to come on. I don't. As I said in the open, I don't know what it is about me that takes some people <laughs> off. <laughs> I, I have interviewed him probably— the smartest person I've ever hear speak. I've heard him speak about five or six times, interviewed him a bunch of times, and then met him off camera. And I, I would say to myself, I, you know, I heard all these things about him. Smartest guy about more things than probably anyone I've ever met, whether it's you finance, wait, Chinese pre- culture, the, a province in Thailand. Excluded, right? Yes. I'm sorry. His present company excluded, yes. Yes. Okay. For, all right. I just, no, no. He's, he's, he's smart as can be, but if, he did, if he's involved in ripping off people who wanted uh, to, to – contribute money to, and I, I repeat, if, 
who wanted to contribute money to build the wall on the southern border, that's pretty bad. So, you know, we'll have to see what it, where the facts take us. So last night, I, I read your review, been running them all week, about your reviews of one uh, night one, two, and three. Uh, I want you to hear a little of President Obama for our audience to not stay up, and I want you to comment. Cut five. I have sat in the Oval Office with both of the men who are running for president. I never expected that my successor would embrace my vision or continue my policies. I did hope, for the sake of our country, that Donald Trump might show some interest in taking the job seriously, that he might come to feel the weight of the office and discover some reverence for the democracy that had been placed in his care. But he never did. For close to four years now, he has shown no interest in putting in the work. Fair? Well, it's it's fair as uh, Barack Obama's view of Donald Trump. You know, uh, they're, they're both a lot. I, I kind of have to laugh at people who are saying, well, you know, former presidents don't usually attack the sitting president. Just yesterday, and it was fairly mild, Donald Trump talked about the horror. That was his word, the horror that Barack Obama and Joe Biden left him and the stupidity of all the deals that Obama and, and Biden made when they were in, in office. I'm not saying that one side is right and one side's wrong, but you know, when the president has shown no reluctance whatever to go after Obama, especially for the last four years, I think it's fair for Obama to offer his, his argument. Um, you know, I, I, everybody's gonna have to make their own judgment as to whether they think it's uh, it's true or not, but I, I think it's fair to, for him to criticize his successor that way. A couple of things I couldn't believe this, and you wrote and you said this yesterday, and our our staff found it out uh, that he barely talked about Joe Biden. Joe Biden got two minutes and fifty two seconds of his thirty two minute speech. Kamala Harris mentioned him for about two minutes and thirty seconds. Hillary Clinton thirty one seconds in their speech. It's kind of rare for the for the nominee not to come up much. I. Couldn't agree more with all of that. It's funny because after he get delivered his speech, I thought it was 15 minutes, uh, Obama. I said, I'll bet he didn't talk to uh, about Biden for five minutes. You say it was more like two minutes. It, it strikes me that, you know, sort of the big what are the big takeaways from this convention? You know, you sort of go yeah. off and take a look back. And, and to me, it is tremendous fervor in saying everything that they don't like about uh, about Donald Trump and tremendous fervor in terms of we've got to get out and vote, vote, vote. But there has been very little about Joe Biden other than saying, well, he'll get things back to normal and that may be enough. But, you know, when you think of other other presidents and whether it was uh, Bill Clinton, Democrats, Bill Clinton talking about the new Democrats, a more kind of centrist Democratic, not as not as liberal or, or Barack Obama, hope and change. And yes, we can. And that this was going to be a dramatic change. There's no kind of animating philosophy or big idea that's coming out of this convention so far about Joe Biden. You know, tonight is the, by far the biggest night of this convention, because for, I don't know, 30 minutes, 40 minutes, Joe Biden is going to be there before the country. Uh, he has to one show that he's competent because Donald Trump has raised that issue. And I think some people, you know, a lot of people have some questions about it, that he's competent to have the, the biggest job in the world and what he would do with it. And, and there hasn't been 
a lot of talk or uh, there's been no kind of animating spirit or point about this convention so far. And that's that's bad. They got to do that tonight. But everything's different. Um, And, you know, to their credit, I I don't I don't think Republicans are smart to bring up ratings because they're about to go. And if 50 percent of the country is Democrats in 50 or 40 and 40 are Democrats and Republicans, half are going to turn out. Uh, turn off anyway. And there's not going to be any cheering. My sense is that Trump's going to find a way to do the West Point graduation audience where everyone's social distance wearing masks, but they're all there. And I think he'll do that. And just because that's him, he likes the audience and he wants to do it better. So a lot of his people are going to go to school. The other thing that came to mind is these features, maybe I've been spoiled in sports. I watch regional sports networks do things on relief pitchers that get me excited to watch that relief pitcher. Where are the biographies that are supposed to get me excited about these people? I'm looking at Nancy Pelosi's biography. It was like something from the WWE. Um, I, I thought these, these features were terrible. You can't control the audience of the pandemic, but you can control the heartstrings of the features that we've been used to since the wide world of sports with Jim McKay in the 1970s. Do you agree with that? Uh, Jim McKay in the 1970s, <laughs> we're both showing me, even older than you, the, the thrill of victory and the agony of defeat. Remember that ski jumper who would go down and every yeah. time he would like go off the side of the ski jump and his head would, would go like a bobblehead during the wide world of sports? That was good stuff. Um, I think some of the features have been really good, really powerful. Uh, they had one on, on Monday night to, the, to Bruce Springsteen singing The Rising that I thought was really, you know, how bad can it be with Bruce Springsteen? I thought the the, the taped message with uh, Gabby Giffords, the uh, former congresswoman from Arizona who was shot in the head and showing her practicing and then, and then giving her speech, I thought was very powerful. I thought a lot of it, I would agree, is kind of meh. Yeah. You know, it's okay, certainly not objectionable, but... Um, you know, when you think of some of the videos you've seen in the past, some of the stuff that they used to put together for Ronald Reagan in the 80s, uh, where whether you liked them or not, you got goosebumps. I, there haven't been a lot of goosebumps in this convention. Right. Hey, Chris, I would love to get on here and kind of pretend like it wasn't a big deal and tell you I got the interview with Joe Biden and you wanted it and then just feel that you try to hide your jealousy. But I can't say that. But I can say this. Cardi B got the interview that you wanted. Let's listen to what and see if you want to take in case you get the interview. Maybe you want to steal some of the questions. Let's listen. Okay. Tell me what right, your me fans most say to you when they communicate with you online. What, what are they most concerned about? Obviously, free, free uh, college education, free Medicare, especially now that, you know, people are just getting sick left to right. People don't want to pay the taxes for it. And that's why this whole thing about government's bad has been such a, a, a downer for the things that really matter to you and me. So do you predict you'll have a very similar reaction where he asks you questions and asks you how you think? You know how when I talked to you several weeks ago and we made a bet and I said, yes. I think I'll get Joe Biden and you made this bogus claim that I promised to put you on as the power player of the week. If I didn't, yep. I think that's that's completely made up. Let me say, I, I would, I'm not going to say double or nothing on that. <laughs> I'm, I don't know. I'm not sure I'm going to get an interview with with the vice president. Now he's going to sit down with ABC with David Muir, I think on Sunday uh, for a primetime hour. But you know, it is it's pretty striking that he just isn't coming out. You know that since. 
he and uh, Kamala Harris formed the ticket last week. I think it was a week ago today. I don't think he's answered a single no, that's not true. He's answered questions from Cardi B. Yeah. So we'll, we'll see. Um, but they certainly are, are taking a very low-profile attitude, whether that'll pay off when they get to the debates and stuff. I don't know. I'd, I'd want some pregames. I'd want to do some interviews if I were he and, you know, think on my feet and answer questions and uh, go go through the preseason. But, uh, right. you know, he's, he's the Democratic nominee, and neither you nor I are. And uh, – Cardi B got the interview, and neither of us did. Chris, I, let's say he pulls off and does fine tonight. He reads a prompter. I'm sure he'll be I, – I really don't see him breaking down tonight, to be honest. So let's say he pulls it off. You know what I'm going to walk away with? That I watch four days of a party that thinks they won already. I really believe they, they played not to fumble. And that's my overview. Do you need to walk on the beach for a while without your shoes on with your – uh, with your khaki pants rolled up to your calves to come up with that type of statement, or do you agree? <laughs> um, no, they're playing it safe. And, and uh, that may be a function, one, of what their polls are, and two, it may be a function of um, their sense of Joe Biden and how he will do uh, if he runs a more conventional campaign. Uh, and, and also maybe their sense of Donald Trump and that Donald Trump keeps making mistakes, you know, like yesterday when he was offered an opportunity to uh, to dis- all he had to do was say, <laughs> you know, I, I don't have any support for QAnon. I, you know, it's a fringe group and I certainly do not seek or welcome their support. But instead, he keeps it alive. Um, you know, he, he does make mistakes. So it'll be an interesting it'll it'll be unlike any campaign that right. you or I have ever covered. Yep. And we'll have a front row seat, but you'll be closer because your network uh, Chris Wallace, thanks so much. Well, the bitterness always comes through. It does. It? I'm stuck on cable. Now, would, you te- would, you, would you tell uh, – who's the guy who lost the appendix again? Eric. Eric. Tell Eric, take the week off. I you know these – these, <laughs> <laughs> these, these, uh, I don't know. They kind of – you know, maybe I'll do that on Fox News Sunday. I'll start doing insulting intros, and then when the person comes <laughs> on, they're so – they're so out of their mind that they can't get a thought together. I think that's where I'm headed. Chris idea. Wallace, thank you so much. I call them entertaining. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Let's go right to a call. I went a little long with the great Chris Wallace. Ron, listen, WJBX in uh, Florida. Ron. Yeah. uh, Brian, I wanted to talk about the mail-in balloting. Uh, uh, Granted, they can say there's no fraud at the elections end because they're counting the ballots they receive. Uh, The mail-in ballot that you mail in, it goes to the post office. Uh, the problem is, you never know if it actually gets there. You're right. You're 100% right. We assume it got there, but there's no way to check it. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. 
the best indication that you need that we better not vote for a Democrat this November is their convention completely ignores the chaos that's going on in their cities in America. Most of the violence and most of the rioting is take, and the worst of it is taking place in purely Democratic cities. And here we have their national party having a convention and they say nothing about it. They say nothing about what they're going to do about, for example, last year, 8,000 uh, 8, African-Americans were killed by other African-Americans. They say nothing about how they're going to reduce that. And all they talk about is 1%, less than 1% mm -hmm. of the way in which African-Americans have, have been harmed. And that is by police officers, most of the time justifiably. Uh, that is Rudy Giuliani this morning re, uh, responding to the fact that Mayor de Blasio blames President Trump for the unrest in the city. Guess who else does? And we'll bring up the soundbite a little bit later. Governor Cuomo. Yeah, it has a lot to do with the president reacting, uh, lack of reaction and caring about New York. Uh, that's the pandemic. So the pandemic caused the unrest in New York, Chicago, Seattle, Portland, Philadelphia, Albuquerque, New Mexico. That's just a, just a few of the major cities. With me right now knows the reality on the ground in New York City, which was once the world's safest city. It's not now. He's Seth Barron. He's associate editor of the City Journal and project director at the New York City Initiative of the Manhattan Institute. Seth, I find it amazing how you have a governor taking a bow and you have a mayor and pointing fingers and you have a mayor who is blaming everyone but himself for the mess that we had in New York and the, the crime-ridden city, which is devoid of anybody working right now. Are you surprised by both men? No, no, Brian, I'm not at all. Uh, I mean, this is exactly the way the two of them operate, have operated for years. Uh, deflection, blaming other people, and refusing to take responsibility for their own failures, which are totally evident. I mean, the fact that Cuomo went on uh, national television the other night and uh, at you know for the DNC convention, and um, just gaslit the whole country, telling them that uh, he had saved New York from the pandemic when he had the worst response in the entire country. Uh, De Blasio, the same thing, just going on about how uh, you know the, the 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 violence in the city has nothing to do with him. It has nothing to do. It's in fact he thinks it's a mysterious. It's mysterious. There's no good explanation for it. It's just a very confusing melange of factors. It's, it's, really, um, it's really shameful, Brian. But Seth, it must bother you especially because you're on the ground in the city. This is your beat. And when you see someone come out and say things like the European virus came here, I don't do pandemics. The government never told us about it. Wait, it's a from Wuhan, China. And Wuhan, China, didn't tell the world about it. Taiwan found out about it in January. But the president's supposed to tell him in December that it's gotten through Europe and, and the Europeans are bringing it here? I mean, do they? what an insult this is to people, I guess, like me, who live here and you who cover it every day. Oh, it's, it's an absolute insult and it's an embarrassment. I mean— Cuomo keeps calling it the European virus. I, I guess he thinks that's cute. But, you know, I mean, I mean, how would he feel if we said, oh, no, it's the Italian virus, Governor Cuomo, because <laughs> it came from Milan? Uh, for some reason, I think he wouldn't like that so much. No, no, no. He's trying to pretend that he's Mr. Cosmopolitan and, you know, he's not a xenophobe. Um, I mean, this is a guy who has no principle except power. And I don't think he really cares if what he says tracks with reality. 
I mean, now he's writing a book about his heroic response to the pandemic. Uh, I, I just can't imagine that any public why any publisher would have offered this to him. It's 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 totally mind boggling. And, and de Blasio is just as bad. Uh, he acts as though he's doing some kind of great job with the pandemic. The rest of the, the country is trying to open up. He's keeping things locked down. It's unnecessary. Uh, I want you to hear Governor Cuomo. For people that missed it, we're talking to Seth Barron, associate editor of City Journal and project director of the New York City Initiative at the Manhattan Institute. But listen, I know we're heard around the country, and we're also heard locally at WABC, WRCN. This is a national story because both these men, uh, through the hard work of New Yorkers, have been able to bend the curve where we were the absolute first place getting blasted outside Italy. We got hit the worst. And we have the death rate of over 23,000. 6,000 plus died in nursing homes when sick patients were forced back into those nursing homes only to spread it through the entire facility. Here's Governor Cuomo. We climbed the impossible mountain. And right now we are on the other side. We saw the failure of a government that tried to deny the virus, then tried to ignore it, and then tried to politicize it. The failed federal government that watched New York get ambushed by their negligence and then watched New York suffer, but all through it learned absolutely nothing. And for all the pain and all the tears, our way worked. Really? It worked? 34, excuse me, not 23, 34,000 dead, it worked. So he said today, to his credit, I don't know the context, but I saw the quote, I wish I told people to wear masks earlier. Well, give yourself a break, Governor. The medical people were not telling us to wear masks earlier. Right. I mean, that's Cuomo trying to pretend like he's taking some responsibility. But, I mean, come on. I mean, the guy intentionally and knowingly sent thousands and thousands of very sick people into nursing homes and then denied responsibility for for helping. He said when when the nursing homes begged him for masks, he said, well, that's not my job. Yeah. Listen to what Governor Cuomo did say when the president rallied with PPE, the whole government, when the president rallied with ventilators, the ship and the conversion by the Army Corps of Engineers of the Javits Center. Do I have faith in the president? Look, what the federal government did working with states, as I just said, was a phenomenal accomplishment. Uh, We bent the curve. We flattened the curve. Government did it. People did it. But government facilitates people's actions, right? President brought in the Army Corps of Engineers. They built uh, 2,500 beds at Javits that uh, Michael and Northwell were operating. It was a phenomenal accomplishment. Seth, does he not think we were there when he was in those, those press conferences? I mean, come on. I understand sometimes you're at a political event and you want to say things that are very black and white to get you cheer, get you applause lines. But there is no applause line. Why don't you be accurate? What's your reaction to that? Did, from hearing the earlier remarks and then the remarks from Monday. Well, look, I, I mean, the federal government obviously did step in, gave him the ship, gave him the Javits Center, none of which was used. None of it was necessary. Cuomo was every day up there screaming about President Trump. We were going to need 100,000 ventilators. We were going to need you know, hundreds of thousands of hospital beds. Look, okay, he erred on the side of caution, I guess, but then it turned out not to be necessary. I mean, they built a—I mean, the best thing is Billy Graham—Billy Graham's son's group, Franklin Franklin Graham, Graham. built that 
uh, a hospital in Central Park. And then uh, when they decided that they didn't need it anymore, they said, tear down that, uh, you know, intolerant hospital because supposedly they weren't as gay-friendly as they should have been. But none of these resources were used after Cuomo and de Blasio made such a huge fuss about it, uh, you know. De Blasio every day was screaming that Trump needed to nationalize uh, American industry to build ventilators. Uh, you know, this is this is the progressive mindset all the time. Government needs to take everything over. But it turned out actually not to be necessary. Uh, you know, Trump asked for cooperation from industry. He got it. They didn't wind up needing millions of ventilators. It would have been bad. So... You know, this is the position we're in, though, Brian. It is. But what what bothers me most is not who's going to win the next election or who's getting credit and discredit, uh, that they're insulting us to think we don't remember. What bothers me most is, Seth, I walk 10 blocks a day from 48th to 34th, and no one's wearing a suit. I look into the gap, and I see the souvenir shops. They are totally empty. I see the Long Island Railroad at 5 o'clock. I have any seat I want to choose from. So we now have workers being paid or not paid not to come to the city. There's no urgency in plan to get people back into these buildings. By the way, they're still being built. So there's no tax base. We need $9 billion just to meet the the bloated budget. And there's no sign this is going to end. And it doesn't seem to bother the people in charge. No, it doesn't. De Blasio's press secretary the other day put out a statement saying, hey, billionaires, go kick rocks. Uh, We don't need you. We've got, you know, the the people here, we're we're for the working people. It's like, well, you know what? That's fine. But the billionaires, the top 1% of the people in New York City, frankly, pay like 54% of the, um, the revenue. So to say go kick rocks, it's just stupid. Um, they're, they're not interested in development. They're not interested in getting the, the city open and back to work. You're right. It's it's a real disaster shaping up. It is. And uh, Chicago is the same thing. And, and what's happening, Seth, and my last question to you would be about the police officers. You've got 30, between mm-hmm. thirty and 36,000. They have a great counter-terror unit. Uh, they've been lauded. If stop and frisk went too far, we can debate that. But now you have a situation where people are resigning, turning in their badges, and they're not being backed up, being encouraged not to take riot gear with them. And they certainly are wondering if they're going to come home at night because they know the city does not have their back. Describe what it's like to be a police officer today. Well, I'm not a police officer, but I've talked to police officers, and they're completely demoralized. And this goes back to the very beginning of the de Blasio administration, when he sat with Al Sharpton and Commissioner Bratton and let Sharpton give everybody, you know, uh, a talking to. And he told the police that his son was afraid of them, that they were going to, like, hurt him. Um, You know, so this kind of demoralization has been – it's been in the works for years. And, you know, at this point, I think a lot of cops are thinking, why are we doing this? Um, You know, you've got Black Black Lives Matter harassing their uh, union president. Uh, You've got de Blasio – defaming their union it, it, it's, uh, it, it's it's not a good position it isn't I've never seen it like that of you Have, like this mm, no not like this no where it, the sense that they don't have their back absolutely not 
All right, uh, Seth. Thanks so much. I, I don't. Uh, I am looking forward to seeing how this goes. The next big challenge is schools. I see the teachers union says there's no plan right now for rapid testing or testing for people. Uh, they when when Cuomo asked for an outline of what it what you need to open up schools to see if I can approve it, he handed in a few pages that say we're incomplete. They're opening up schools anyway. Do you think this city's ready? And were you surprised so many kids are opting not to go back? Um, I'm not too surprised that kids don't want to go back. I think a lot of parents would like them to go back. Um, you know, it, it, it's, a, it's a tricky situation. I mean, I'm glad to see that de Blasio is trying to get schools going. I, I think it's important. I think it's, it's this learning from home situation has been kind of a disaster. Uh, and, you know, the teachers unions naturally are not interested in getting back to work. They're, you know, unless they get all kinds of you know, supplements and special treatment. But, you know, knowing de Blasio, I'm not anticipating it to go very well or to go smoothly. But, you know, ideally kids will be back in the in the schools. I mean, I think that everybody agrees that that's, you know, that's an important thing. Right. Yeah. I just think we got to get plans for it. OK, school A had some positive tests. What's the plan? Uh, school B has, uh, has uh, one grade, one classroom got got hit. How do we isolate it? And let the other kids still go. I, are those plans in place? I have not seen it. And these, the power of these unions are even staggering me because we had the big sick out in Arizona. What makes you think they're not going to do that in New York? Uh, there's a very good chance. I mean, the, the, the American Federation of Teachers authorized uh, strikes if teacher, local teachers feel like they're not being um, accommodated properly. So we could see that. Uh, we could see teachers sticking out. But at the same time, you know, every other essential worker, nurses, doctors, bus drivers, janitors, grocery store workers have been on the job since March. Um, you know, teachers, you know, maybe it's been challenging for them to learn how to do Zoom classes from home. But, you know, they haven't been they haven't been put in a bad position. I agree uh, with so you. I, I think they're kind of maybe playing their hand a little too strong. Uh you know, but that, that's that's what they do. They've got the politicians in their pocket, and as far as they're concerned, they're in the uh, the catbird seat. Democratic politicians, because Republicans have no presence. Seth Barron, that's thanks right. so much. Thanks, Brian. One eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. Republicans do not try for urban centers, and it's a joke. And they should be ashamed. There should be a plan, and if the plan fails, you come up with another plan. You don't not try. People are fed up. This is an opportunity. If that's what you do for a living, uh, back in a moment. It's Brian Kilmeade. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. So I'm in the grocery store, and a woman comes up to me, early 30s. Can you say that now? If you describe somebody by their age, or is that going to set somebody up? So uh, she goes, uh, you know, you should wear a, like a different mask. Those masks aren't good. I got one of these, these gator masks. She's like, yeah, you, you shouldn't wear those masks. So this is what I do. You should try this. Anytime anybody... Don't come back with anything. Don't yell. Don't scream. What I've noticed in comedy is silence is golden, and it also works when uh, you're confronted. What you do, 
as you wear the mask, right? You just do a death stare, and they, they don't know what to do. They're expecting you to come back with something. You go silent, and you look like you just fell out of a cartel. Ends the confrontation. Very good point. Uh, Sebastian Maniscalco on his podcast. Is that it? Allison? Not even. It was just t- him coming out of the grocery store, just, you know, sort of ranting a little bit on social media. And he gave this, you know, just point of reference or a way to help out America since we can't go watch him live anymore. So do you think when we go back to comedy, do you do you want comedians talking about the pandemic or are you looking to escape? They need to talk about it in a funny way. How can you avoid it? Right. Most comedians talk about daily life. Right. There's so much gold here, but they need to be able to. Bring it, make it funny without offending people. Exactly. Uh, so I look for uh, comedians having it really bad. I know governors, for example, on Long Island, they open up a big tent and they let the comedians go outside because you're allowed to have that. They stopped it. Why would they stop it? Why? Like, it's because these politicians want control and I better stop the spread that's irresponsible. It's crazy. And, and the city, I don't know what they're going to do because you can't put comedy in a park at night, can you? I guess you can, but that's not your property. You can, but it's hard. It doesn't help. It doesn't help Gotham Comedy Club, which is Jerry Seinfeld's favorite comedy club. It doesn't help them to have something outside. No, I would agree. But you would think people need comedy now more than ever, and then especially when this is over, just as a break. But comedians need an audience. So they do. If you don't have an audience, I mean, I might be able to listen to a speech without without a crowd. Yeah, but you I don't think I can. I, I think that you need to laugh, and it's got to be real. The one thing I hate that I cannot sleep with is a laugh track. Oh, if I hear a la- like a comedy on, especially a bad situation comedy that I didn't want to see the first time, but it's stuck in syndication and it for some reason is on, I cannot sleep with a laugh track. I will say you have complained about that before. Whatever show was left on, you said there was a laugh track and it got you angry. I can't tell you what show it is <laughs> because that person might be listening. There's actually part of that show that I just don't. Like I know, like I'm one of these guys that does not think Friends is funny. It's funny, but I, 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 you might have been a little past it when it was so popular, and I don't mean that in a, like, you know, an offensive uh, way. I'm offended. <laughs> Thank you very much. When I'm president, you're out. You might Come be on. a consultant, an advisor, a czar. Oh. Brian Kilmeade, chill. Keep it here. BrianKilmeade.com. Order any of my books, please. Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice. Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Uh, Big hour coming your way. Peter Navarro is getting ready. Uh, Peter Navarro playing a key role in just about everything that needs to get done. He's a big executor, and I mean that in the best way possible. You have a project that gets it done, and Kim Strassel, the Wall Street Journal, with a great perspective on uh, day three of the DNC, and this will be the fourth and final day, mercifully, uh, of the DNC. Tonight is Joe Biden's going to be forced to step out and look like he can handle the job. And the thing is, if you watched him in his interviews two weeks ago, last week, you would see that he clearly has a temper issue. He does not like to be challenged, and he gets lost in his own thoughts. And if you read the political story about the relationship between Obama and Biden, you could see that Obama must have felt the same way because he 
would cut him off often, would make comments to other people about him. And when he had a chance to endorse a candidate, it was Hillary Clinton, even before the tragedy that happened in his family in, 20, uh, in 2015. It was Hillary Clinton, not him. And the things have not been right, necessarily right between them since. So let's get to the big three. I stepped out of the vehicle. I didn't even think anyone was following me still. And before I even got my door open, someone was yanking me out and I hit the ground. So, and then I sat there for a while and they wouldn't let me get up. You see the beat down in Portland on Sunday? That was him, Adam Hayner. Somehow he survived. I've never seen a guy outside the octagon take a beating like that by so many different people. One in particular, there's a manhunt for. He's okay. He was kicked, attacked, and beat senseless and knocked unconscious. But his heroic acts were revealed when they posted a 30-minute video which led to the attack in Portland, one of the many that's happened over the last three months. You know what he was doing? Sticking up for a transgender individual who was being robbed and beaten. He wanted to stop it. He ended up being the target. And he almost lost his life. What is it going to take to end and cover this urban violence? And why has that not been brought up at the DNC? Number two. What matters is how does the news play the next day? How does the news feed into folks that aren't sitting and watching conventions, you know, virtually? Persuadable voters don't watch virtual conventions. Reince Priebus, the DNC reviews and reveals how is America responding and has anyone's heart or mind been changed? Esteem experts next. Number one. No interest in finding common ground. No interest in using the awesome power of his office to help anyone but himself and his friends. Donald Trump hasn't grown into the job because he can't. Day three, big three, Hillary, Harris, and Obama, all of which talked about Trump more than the man they were propping up, Joe Biden. We'll bring you the verbal barrage and the Trump blistering retort, along with the two topic stems won't touch, China and urban violence. And we're not talking about racial justice. Racial justice, I think Republicans got to do a better job talking about and disseminating. And Tim Scott's going to lead that charge. He'll be one of the speakers, and that's great. And you have Daryl Scott, too, uh, a pastor from Chicago, Cleveland, and he has written a book about it, a good friend of the president's. Go ahead. And I think the president has dropped the ball on that. He should be talking about racial justice and moving further and how much progress we made and how to make more. I would love to see that. But the violence that's taking place in Chicago, New York, Seattle, Portland, Philadelphia, on a regular basis, totally out of control, has to be addressed. And to me, the Democrats have a great chance to disseminate and say, hey, I'm for Black Lives Matter, but I'm not for an organization that drops off bats and bricks and loots and says it's reparations. That's not what we're about. And they have not taken that opportunity. 76 days left, but one day left to the DNC. I believe the Democrats believe they already won. Kamala Harris, keynote address yesterday. Here's what she was talking about when it comes to race. Cut one. Donald Trump's failure of leadership has cost lives and livelihoods. If you're a parent struggling with your child's remote learning, or you're a teacher struggling on the other side of that screen, you know what we're doing right now is not working. Got it. So she did not kill Trump as much as Hillary did and Obama did. But she talked about Joe Biden for two minutes and 38 seconds. Listen, I know it's tough programming three nights with no audience. 
But some of these speeches and some of these features were just flat out terrible, as if they just got surprised by the fact there was a DNC, when in, in reality it was delayed. And people knew for a long time there would be no crowds. Peter Navarro joins us. He is uh, on his many titles, assistant to the president for trade and manufacturing. Peter, welcome back. Brian, my friend, how are you today in beautiful America? Yeah, beautiful America and New York City under siege and urban America under siege. Now, I know in the big picture— divided America, I guess I should add. Yeah, it's really incredible to me, Brian, watching this. Uh, these uh, these cities, the anarchy, the, the looting, uh, the just unrestrained aggression uh, of people. I, I, you know, for me, it all started when they allowed that police station in Minneapolis to be overrun like Fort Apache— uh, it was it was just it just it was the broken window theory writ large across this nation. And and yeah, look, people do not want anarchy and looting uh, and this craziness. And, and the Democratic Party, it's interesting. Have we heard anything about that this week? Nothing. From, from uh, we, we heard about the it, president's it, move crooked. to St. John's Church. And we've talked about racial injustice as if the president is the cause of it. I want you to hear what President Obama said, which, by the way, is unprecedented in the history of American politics to have a a sitting president be ridiculed by a past president. This personally cut six. No interest in finding common ground. No interest in using the awesome power of his office to help anyone but himself and his friends. No interest in treating the presidency as anything but one more reality show that he can use to get the attention he craves. Donald Trump hasn't grown into the job because he can't. And he goes on. Your reaction? Yeah, let me, let's, let's do an extended riff on this because this really pisses me off. This president is the hardest working president that we have ever seen. This, this man will exhaust you when you work for him. He just, and, and the things he has done on the economy when we, we, in January of 2020 this year, he had built the strongest, most resilient, best-performing economy uh, in history. On foreign policy, Brian, let's think about this. Peace on the Korean Peninsula. What we've got is the end to endless wars in Afghanistan. No major screw-ups in, in, in places like Libya like we had under Obama and Biden. People, he, you know, for me, he's a the great The pull-out of Iraq was the biggest and, mistake Obama made. And, Indeed. But let's look then at Obama. You know, it's like it's well known that the guy loved being president, but he didn't want to do the job. He'd rather go play basketball or whatever he did, uh, go off to Martha's Vineyard. Uh, but he, he didn't take the job seriously. He surrounded himself by a bunch of sycophants who can kumbaya. They all get along, but they all had the same point of view. And that point of view, Brian, was one that, that destroyed our factories, destroyed our jobs. He put Joe Biden in charge of China, of all things, and you know how that worked out. So this man, Barack Obama, really uh, one of the worst presidents in our history, and that, not because he was so bad, but because he was so mediocre. That was the signature, the hallmark of, of the Biden-Obama administration. You got flatline growth. You got flatline wages we were we were in this thing they called the new normal and 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 obama said you'd have to wave a magic wand to get back guess what the half a million manufacturing jobs we got back so yeah look here's the thing brian 
it's clear from watching these folks over three days, they got one strategy. The strategy is the same strategy as the Chinese Communist Party. Blame Donald Trump for the pandemic that China itself inflicted on this country. Other than that, they got nothing. They don't talk about their policy, Brian. If they got to talk about their policy, the first thing that comes out of their mouth, oh, we're going to raise your taxes by $4 trillion. Second thing that comes out of their mouth, oh, by the way, we're going to destroy your entire energy industry in Wyoming, the Dakotas, Texas, Pennsylvania, Ohio, and everywhere in between. And by the way, after we destroy the energy sector, you're going to pay so much more that our business won't be able to. But, Peter, you know what people say? They say Biden does not want to end fracking. uh, And he says that he did not want to defund the police. I don't want to get you into politics because you're – What's your reaction? I want to talk about the – let's start the defunding the police. The the clip's right there. It's a video clip. Anybody can go to that interview. The guy asked him if he wanted to defund the police. He said, we're going to move money out of the police into other things. It's right there. Look, here's the the question, Brian. I think every American got to ask this question. Is Joe Biden just a puppet and a figurehead for the rest of the progressives and globalists in the Democratic Party, or is he actually going to lead? And I think the answer is, clearly, he doesn't have the energy or the intellectual horsepower anymore to actually be a leader. I mean, he's, he's stuck in a basement the whole friggin' time. He doesn't go out. He won't answer. Here's the thing. He won't answer reporters' questions. Can you imagine him getting on your show, Brian, and ha- or Fox and Friends and having him answer some tough questions? Oh, but the president goes on Fox and Friends. What, was he on an hour? And he had Jonathan he Swan, 45 minutes. Up. Jonathan Swan, Chris Wallace, an hour. Jim Acosta, he goes into the press room every day. I mean, so, so look, Biden is a puppet of figurehead, right? He is, you got, you got Bernie Sanders thinking and AOC thinking that once Biden gets in there, they're going to be able to take over, but they're going to have to fight the neocons and the globalists. I mean, how can you have, how can you have a convention, Brian, where AOC a rising star of that party gets 60 seconds, and John Kasich gets more time. It's Colin Powell, and what, yeah. By the way, what signal are you sending to the Bernie Bros? I want to tell you, the, I saw the blood of the Bernie Bros all over the floor of that virtual convention the other night. They, they were just gutted, gutted by the people that were speaking there. And I would say to the Bernie Bros, hey, this party, the Republican Party, is a party of economic nationalism. Come home. Come home, guys. Donald Trump's the one who's going to save our factories and our jobs. So, so I, I hear it's Peter, going to be really interesting. I do want to ask you about there was a story that came sure. out uh, that it looks like the are you guys moving ahead with phase one of the China deal. Have they been living up to it? I saw a fact check on what the president said that China has been buying the soybeans and and the corn that they were supposed to. Another one said they're only about they're only bought about a third as they promised. Can you give the American people an understanding of where this phase I, one is? I can give you an exact understanding. Here's the good news. The good news, and it's great news for the farmers of America, is that the Chinese Communist Party is indeed making historic buys, for example, of corn. They're buying our soybeans. They're making very increased levels of spending on beef, pork, and chicken. And we expect them to fulfill those commitments as they are doing. Now, here's the bad news. 
The bad news is the Chinese Communist Party is clearly hoping for and putting their bets on a Biden presidency. So don't expect any more negotiations necessarily to take place before the election. Okay, although there's some talk about about having some talks based on milestones that are set up in the actual agreement. But the CCP, the Chinese Communist Party, and the Democratic Party are making common cause to defeat Donald J. Trump. CCP wants to do that, obviously, because Trump's the toughest president in history. China wants to go back to the status quo ante, where they have their way with this country, take our factories and our jobs. And here's the thing, Brian. What we have to be really careful about as a country, defending our democracy is an information warfare that the Chinese Communist Party is waging against our election process right now. I don't know if you ever heard of the Wu Mao Army, but every American needs to know about this. The Wu Mao Army is millions of Chinese citizens, both bureaucrats and netizens, who get paid to post on American social media to advance the narrative of the Chinese Communist Party. And that narrative right now is to blame Donald J. Trump for the pandemic and try to take him down and steer all conversation away from what really matters to the American people. What's that, Brian? You know what it is. Jobs, standing right. tall on China, and law, order, and the safety of our communities. Last question, Peter. Uh, we have a million, over a million jobless claims. Last week it was 900 and uh, I think 30,000. Uh, where are we at uh, with getting back to hospitality, hospitality industry, getting people back in the workplace? Uh, what, what should people know about w- what's on the horizon? Economically, we're making a strong rebound from the worst depression-level effects we've we've ever had. Going forward, we're going to have a a long struggle to get through a lot of these structural adjustments that the China virus is forcing us to make in those industries you cited, hospitality, leisure, sports, entertainment, transportation, mass transit, and all of that. And this is why we need a president who is a jobs president, who understands how American business works, how trade works, in order to make sure that we are able to get from here to there. What we have to do, Brian, is get back to where we were in January of 2020 before the Chinese infected this nation with their virus. That was historically low unemployment with wages rising and productivity rising. And once we get to that pinnacle, we need mm-hmm. to jump from there to the next era of prosperity, which is going to be a fourth industrial revolution where new jobs at the margin are going to be manufacturing jobs for the men and women of this country who work with their hands. He is uh, Peter Navarro. He's got his hands full. He's told to execute and get the PPE and get the testing kits and respond to a pandemic like we have not seen in our lifetime. I don't know when you sleep, but you're getting it done. Peter, thanks so much for joining us. (laughs) Thank you, Brian. All right. Peter Navarro, uh, totally motivated to get four more years. When we come back, I'm going to take some of your calls. 1-866-408-7669. Then Kimberly Strassel, The Wall Street Journal, putting it all in perspective. Don't go anywhere. Brian Kilmeade will be right back. 
Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Got some company. Uh, Alice, remember I said I don't like canned laughter and I don't like friends? I just got an email from Dean. Dean says, Brian, today you said on your radio show that you probably are the only one who didn't think the TV show Friends was funny. I'm here to tell you that you are not alone. I never liked the show, never thought it was funny. So do you feel better? Feel better Much better. <laughs> I'm glad. Thank you, Dean. I'm a little insecure. Uh, Drew, you're in Panama City. Drew. Hi. I voted for McCain. I'm a veteran. I voted for Hillary. And when I listen, and I listen to conservative radio shows, I listen to the liberal side of things. And what is just flabbergasting to me is there, you don't provide facts. You don't provide specifics. You have callers say things like, oh, and you mail it in. Nobody knows. Well, if you go to your supervisor of elections website, they show what happens to your mail-in ballots. Or things like you say, Obama spoke last night for 32 minutes. He didn't. And Chris Wallace corrected you, and you still didn't. What, 31 minutes? 17 minutes. He spoke for 17 minutes, sir. Uh, 31 minutes. And and what are you talking about? You find out where your mail-in ballot has come in before the election? The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. People of all ages and colors and creeds who are, yes, taken to the streets and also persuading our family members, rallying our friends, organizing our neighbors, and getting out the vote. And we have shown that when we vote, we expand access to health care and expand access to the ballot box and ensure that more working families can make a decent living. Kamala Harris yesterday in a big speech, biggest one of her career, she officially accepts the vice presidential nomination. Uh, and let's see, was her and Joe Biden were able to convert that uh, into getting themselves into the White House. Uh, we will see. The attacks really came from President Obama, Hillary Clinton, most in for, uh, first and foremost, and Nancy Pelosi. Did not a surprise. The way I thought President Obama went over the top was a surprise. Kimberly Strassel has seen, seen it all. She uh, writes for the Potomac Watch, columnist for the Wall Street Journal and uh, editorial page and author of the book Resistance at All Cost: How Trump Haters Are Breaking America. Uh, Kimberly, what did you think last night? Well, uh, overall, uh, it was interesting. So last night, we finally got a little tiny glimpse of the Democratic agenda, right? Because there had been nothing on that radio silence for the first two nights. It was all about attacking Trump, attacking Trump. So finally, we heard him talk about gun control and climate change, uh, 
they talked about how they were going to have union jobs uh, with renewables. Um, we talked a little bit about immigration. Uh, what was struck me, though, about it, Brian, was how dishonest that presentation was. And they have the ability to do that because it's so scripted. But, you know, in the gun control segment, all talk about the problem, but nothing about what they would do to American Second Amendment rights and climate. No talk about how they're going to get rid of, you know, tens of thousands of fossil fuel jobs. Um, it, you know, no talk about the, the eight Democratic candidates who raised their hands and said that they would uh, make border crossings. They would get rid of uh, making it a crime, right. just make it a civil offense. So uh, it, that was one thing that really stood out for me uh, last night. Kimberly, the other thing to keep in mind, too, is what makes it difficult is, you know, Vice President Biden says, no, I don't want to end fracking. I'm not going to end fossil fuels. I'm going to do an all in. Oh, when it comes to the border, I'm not going to take the wall down, but I'm going to, you know, offer maybe some health care. He put his hand up in the beginning of that. But it's dicey. You have they want to end fossil fuels. They wanted to they want to turn our, our economy into uh, a total natural renewables, whatever it is. They want to go back into uh, they want to do to a degree their own new green deal. See, if Joe Biden's in charge, if you look at some of the things he said, he doesn't want to fund the police. All right. But so but but Kamala Harris does and Bernie Sanders does and AOC does and just about every mayor in every liberal city does. So people at home are going, I don't know what to believe what they tell me Joe Biden's done in the past or what everybody else stands for during the debates and during everyday dialogue. Well, especially, it's a great point, Brian, because the one thing that we have learned from Joe Biden in the course of this primary leading up to his coronation is that he is open to being told what to do by the rest of his party. Uh, you know, what does Joe Biden stand for? Uh, who in who in history has ever won a nomination and then sat down with the guy who lost and said, you get to help define my entire yeah. agenda? Uh, it, it's never happened. And so, you know, this this is a guy who's trying to make peace with a, a very fractured party, uh, but rather than lead, he is being pushed around. Um, and so I don't think people can have any faith when Joe Biden says, well, I actually believe in this. That doesn't mean anything. The far more important thing for voters to be evaluating is a Democratic Party platform, uh, which is the more radical one we've seen in, in the history of that party. Would you point out in your column is the, the stars, the Kamala Harris and the Beto O'Rourke's, blew up, imploded, before they even get to a primary. There was infighting, lack of direction. There was lack of funding. With Harris' great speech, and then she fell apart. She never did her homework on where she stood on major issues. She wasn't leading, and next thing you know, her staff was, was uh, stabbing each other in the back, and she called it quits. Beto O'Rourke was one of the, a spectacular failure. So Joe Biden or Bernie Sanders, and then the without winning a primary— he was coronated by Jim, James Clyburn, and next thing you know, he's the nominee. And they're hiding him to this point, not talking about him to this point. How are they getting away with this? Well, you have to ask how those people feel who came out and voted for him, uh, how they feel. Because, look, remember, uh, Joe Biden last fall was going to lose, okay, even after Iowa. Remember, people were writing his campaign obituaries. And in the end, as you said, there was this coronation, Jim Clyburn. But the reason people came out and voted for him is because he was supposed to be the more sensible, more moderate candidate, right, against the crazies in the Sanders wing. And so then to see him completely fold, I think that that 
explains why you have such a lack of enthusiasm and you see the in the numbers coming up and why you had as the the clip in the beginning of the show uh, Kamala Harris and 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 Barack Obama spending so much time sort of desperately urging people to get out to vote because they know they have a problem there's a, a huge lack of enthusiasm for the guy who now has the mantle what I think is amazing is I'm concerned as an American where this big push to socialism where we want to make uh, health care guaranteed, health care is an issue, but how do you afford it? College guaranteed, I'd love for people to go to college, but how do you afford it? We have a system. We have a system where now they say we, uh, we are uh, built on racism and we have to reorganize society. So we don't want to be capitalists anymore. But yet it was the other side. It was Barack Obama who said our democracy is at stake. Democratic principles are under attack on a daily basis. I don't know if you've listened to some of the chants on these inner cities, but they're not chanting, let's be a capitalist. No. And, you know, you brought up the the climate program. That, to me, is the the greatest expression of all of that that you can get, that and Medicare for all. But, you know, it's really clever what Joe Biden's attempting to do here. He's trying to say, my climate program is a jobs program. First of all, that's a, a ludicrous, okay? It was really interesting. There was a study that just came out from North America's building trade unions, okay, just a couple of weeks ago. It represents 14 unions, 3 million members. These are guys like the Teamsters and everything. They felt the need to send a shot over Joe Biden's bow. They put out a, a study that said, guess what, buddy? Renewable jobs are not the same as yeah. uh, oil drilling jobs, etc. And and no, you cannot just seamlessly transition from being an oil rigger to being a, a solar technician. And moreover, we don't want to. Well, <laughs> you're talking about putting out of work a million people, all the folks that not just work in those areas but are dependent on that community of work, you know, the truck drivers and the and the and the train drivers. So he's saying that he is going to demolish one of the mainstays of the American US economy. And uh trying to get away with it by saying, don't worry, you know, we'll just we'll we'll retrain you. I mean it's sort of a a, a slick way of a new way of saying learn to code. And I keep wondering when and this is really going to resonate with America. When you say learn to code, that's what President Obama said to do, right? Yeah, that was, in, and they, they got huge blowback on that, you know, because it was so cavalier telling all of these blue collar workers, yeah, you know, we're going to put you out of work, but don't worry, just, you know, go become a computer programmer. <laughs> well, and, 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 and that's one of the reasons they lost the 2016 election. So what you've got right now is Joe Biden 2.0 version of that saying, we'll keep you out there right. doing the, the energy jobs you like, but they're not the energy jobs anybody wants or likes, and they're not also ones that are going to be great for the economy. It isn't. But the problem is they're not saying that. They're indicating there's intimations. And once they get the job, Bernie Sanders says we're going to push him that direction. Who's going to be keeping him in the middle? Nobody. But the Democrats must know it's bad for business. Where is the squad? Why did AOC have one taped piece? Why are you bringing in Republicans? They know what's good to get them elected. But they also know the future of their party is not what they're putting on stage. Well, on that point, I was chuckling to myself last night when they did their climate portion. They rolled out the New Mexico governor, Michelle Luann Grisham, and she sat and and waxed eloquently about the greatness of renewables. And I was laughing, saying, wait a minute, where's Gavin Newsom? 
because the governor of California has gone all in on the Green New Deal, and that's why millions of his people don't have any power right now. They're in the middle of blackouts. <laughs> He's tonight. So we – we, we we already know how that works and, and how it doesn't work, I should say. Um, and they don't want to talk about any of that because that's where we're headed. Uh, Kimberly Strassel with us with the Wall Street Journal. Kimberly, I want you to hear what David Axelrod said. I, I was offended by President Obama going personally after Trump. I know about tradition, and I know that Trump is atypical. I get he's unorthodox, but so was President Obama. And he gets lauded for going personally at his successor. And no one's ever done that. You think Eisenhower didn't want to go at Kennedy? You think Truman was happy with Eisenhower? Do you think that all through all this transition of power, you would use this time at your convention just to personally rip the person who took your place? It's never happened for a reason because it's not the way it should happen. Here's what Axelrod said. Blame Trump. Cut 19. Uh, what I was thinking about last night when I heard him speak was a conversation we had when he was president and he said uh, the Bushes, both presidents Bush, ha- have taught me a lesson in how to be a former president. And what he meant was that they kept their counsel, they weren't critical of his policies, and that was what his intent was when he left the White House. And what he made clear last night was what motivated him to speak was not his differences with Trump's policies, which are obviously deep and profound, but his difference with his uh, conduct in the office, his treatment of democracy. I don't buy one word of that because he spent the first two years ridiculing Bush 43 classlessly. And Bob Gates wrote about being in meetings. So publicly and privately, he's ripping Bush. And he says, well, I learned a lot. And look at how he acted last night. Yeah, well, and do you remember this is the same Barack Obama who, in a State of the Union, sat there and excoriated the United States Supreme Court, which was sitting in front of him, unable to respond as he did it. I mean, this is a guy who knows how to do cutthroat politics more than easily. I mean, a couple other points on that, too. Uh, My jaw dropped when I saw Barack Obama sitting there talking about how he was so disappointed that Trump wasn't being a custodian of democracy and he felt himself above the law. You know, Brian, I I couldn't even keep up during the Obama years writing about the lawlessness of that administration. You know, whether it was changing Obamacare unilaterally anytime it didn't work for them, or whether it was his DACA or DAPA rulings, which just suspended the law for millions of people, or whether it was not being able to get a climate program through Congress and so unilaterally doing it out of the uh, the office of the presidency through the EPA. You know, this was an administration that, that that bragged, well, if I can't get the normal course of democracy to work, I'll just get out my pen and my pad and yeah. I'll do it myself. Um, you, you name an example, you know, Trump, that there's no, no comparison in terms of this administration, which really has been – pretty much law and order. As you said, the president may be quite unorthodox in the things he says, uh, but in terms of the actions that they take, there's no question that they've hewed to the law. And the other thing, Kimberly, to keep in mind is the president's got to, I don't know how you feel about this, but the president's got to remember who he's running against and not take the bait to run against President Obama, who would be a lot harder to beat. President, it should be Vice President Biden. He should almost look at uh, he almost should look at President Obama like he did with Meghan McCain, who was very critical of him, because he did not want to ridicule John McCain's daughter. And he just wouldn't do it. And to his credit, I almost would lay off uh, President Obama, because you don't want people thinking that President Obama is going back to the White House. 
because he's a lot more popular. The other thing President Obama has is a gift. He's an excellent communicator. He's a very good. He's a very good-looking guy. He is totally comfortable uh, in front of a camera and on stage, and it makes you want to like him. But if you hear what he's saying, it's the same. It's the same deliberate declarative statements and the anger sometimes that President Trump says. Only he's much more eloquent. I couldn't agree with you more about laying off Obama. Don't campaign against Barack Obama. Don't campaign against Michelle Obama. Because the other disservice that that does to the Trump campaign is that those guys, uh, you know, really are not representative of this very radical shift uh, that we have seen in the party. You know, Donald Trump needs to be talking about the people behind Joe Biden who are pulling the strings uh, and dictating what the policy is going to be. That's AOC. That's Bernie Sanders. That's the new face of the Democratic Party. Um, And even though I viewed Barack Obama as the most progressive president in history, he actually really does look fairly mild compared to the AOCs. And I never thought I'd be in a situation to say something like that. Yeah. Uh, And yeah, I'm very curious to see what's going to happen these upcoming days. Just your gut tell you right now, is this close? Is Trump trailing? Can he win? I think it is close, and I think he's not where he should be, given the kind of amazing track record he did have prior to the virus in terms of the economy and lifting the boats of so many people. And and that should be concerning for the White House. But it is close, and it's certainly doable. And that's what I resent are the polls that I, I don't think are accurate, uh, that are making some of the same mistakes of 2016, but I, I worry are doing so deliberately to sort of discourage uh, conservatives and Trump voters. Uh, this is a tight race, um, and the president has a lot still in his arsenal going for him but i he, he does need to he does need to be have a more focused campaign than we've seen i really hope to see an agenda get laid out this next week um something focused something optimistic that's a real contrast to the very dark and dour vision of america that democrats presented this week i think if you can do that he is he, he's, he's going to be in good shape kimberly i always love to to read what you write and hear what you say thanks so much Thanks, Brian. You got it. Uh, Kimberly Strassel, the Wall Street Journal. When we come back, I'll let you know what's going on. The president's meeting with the prime minister of Iraq. This guy wants to change things, wants Iran out. I hope the president helps him. Back in a moment. It's Brian Kilmeade. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Well, I feel very badly. I haven't been dealing with him for a long period of time, as most of the people in this room know. Uh, He was involved in our campaign. He worked for Goldman Sachs. He worked worked for a lot of companies, but he was involved likewise in our campaign. And uh, very early on, I haven't been dealing with him at all. Uh, I know nothing about the project other than I didn't like when I read about it. I didn't like it. I said, this is for government. This isn't for private people. And it sounded to me like showboating. And I think I let my opinion be very strongly stated at the time. I didn't like it. It was showboating and maybe looking for funds. But you'll have to see what happens. Uh, I think it's a a very sad thing for Mr. Bannon. I think it's uh, surprising. But this was something, as you know, just by reading social media and by reading whatever it is and by speaking to Mike and Mike and all of them, I didn't like that project. I thought that was a project that was being done for showboating reasons. I don't know that he was in charge. I didn't know any of the other people either. But it's, uh, it's sad. It's very sad. 
It's just it's an indictment. It's not a conviction. Southern District of New York says that Steve Bannon, part of a group uh, that got indicted, they raised to about $25 million. They said they wouldn't take any money. The accusation is they did. Uh, how much? What? And I'm sure Steve Bannon has a comeback for it. My sense is uh, what I know of him. One of the smartest people I've ever met, the most diverse, who served in the military. He's got that huge financial background, great political instincts. He knows the world, and he can name a Chinese province and a Thailand uh, convenience store. I have never seen anybody with more knowledge. My sense is he's not a corrupt guy. I I sense he's going to be walking away from this. Uh, That is what I hope. Go to BrianKilme.com. Order the podcast. So if you ever miss the BrianKilmeShow.com, you can always download it like everybody else is. But I hope you can uh, grab us live. And feel free to go to BrianKilme.com, by the way, and grab any of my books. I sign them and send them out. I'm Charles Payne. Listen to my Unstoppable Prosperity podcast so I can get you making money right now. Whether stocks are hitting new all-time highs or in free-fall mode, opportunities abound. So why are so many potential investors still sitting on the sidelines? In a new season of my podcast, I'm going to get you in the game. After 38 years on Wall Street, I'm ready to impart some lessons and get you invested in the greatest wealth-generating machine in history. Listen anytime, everywhere at foxbusinesspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.